And we have finished the book of Ecclesiastes, of which many people are relieved, but there was still uh, a great deal of information that needed to be covered. And, and I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. Uh, we're not going to start another long series or, or steady series, but uh, uh, tonight I just want us to basically walk through the book of John uh, looking... And this would not be the first time in 20 years that we have done this, but just looking at the life of Andrew. Andrew was one of Jesus' apostles. He was one of the twelve. In fact, he was arguably the first one that Jesus actually uh, uh, called or or made a disciple. He, uh, in fact, followed uh, Jesus first and, and... but Andrew, most of us say, okay, what, what did Andrew do? And, um, you know, I often like to take a few moments when we have that inner city missions class uh, to remind uh, the students in the class, you know, there are some great, great preachers out there in the world in which we live. I'm not one of them. And chances are... You won't be one of them either. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to, don't come up and say, Pastor, you're a good preacher. I'm not looking for compliments here. What what I'm trying to help us understand is that there's something in the heart of most most people that say, I want to be important. I want to be somebody that's well known. But you know, for... Every well-known person out there, how many hundreds of unknown people work to make them well-known? I'm glad I'm an American. I love the history of this nation and its people and some of the incredible things that have been accomplished. And, uh, you know, I, I think of... Uh, we have a mentality that the greatest soldiers are the ones that drink hard and smoke hard and cuss hard and then they fight hard. But, but I want to challenge you. Our, our greatest soldiers, arguably George Washington is the greatest soldier uh, that we had in the history of our nation. Bible-believing Christian. The biggest, uh, the greatest hero, American hero of World War I was Corporal, then promoted to Sergeant Alvin York, who after the war became a Baptist preacher. He attended a backwoods uh, church that was Baptistic in nature and, and later preached in many Baptist churches, single-handedly captured 132 German soldiers knocked out five or six machine gun nests, killed 25 enemy soldiers in one engagement, all by himself. He was a one-man army, Bible-believing Christian. In fact, the verse that settled uh, Sergeant York's uh, conscience as to even serve in the army was render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. And he said, I'll give my service 
to my country because they deserve it. And um, I don't know how much uh, of a Christian, but certainly uh, uh, General Douglas MacArthur in recent history was not known for profanity. He was not known for vulgarity and crudeness and all of these things. He was a man that of his own testimony said that he spent time with this book. I hope that he was saved. But I want you to understand something. The greatest servants that this country has ever had, almost without exception, had something to do with this book. And we look at those great heroes, but I want you to understand how much of a hero could George Washington have been if no one followed him from Valley Forge to Trenton that night? How great uh, uh, a leader could these men have been if not literally thousands of men gave their lives in that campaign through the, Philipp- through the islands and retaking the Philippines and back to the shores of Japan itself in World War II The reason why I'm giving these illustrations is because the greatest heroes in history are all of those unknown names. If you've ever been, I know that just outside, not just outside, but there on the Bataan Peninsula, there's a cemetery full of American soldiers. We could go through there and read their names, and I'll tell you what, I doubt any of us here would actually know who, where, or anything about any of those names. But they served faithfully. That's where Andrew came in. We should not, the servants of Jesus Christ, should not be seeking a position or notice or anything except service to the Lord. That's where Andrew came in. He was the perfect example of this. And I want us to start in John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, I want us just to stop right there. This is how we are introduced to Andrew in the Scripture. He was one of John the Baptist's disciples. Now, 
That took something. You see, there had been no open revelation since the prophet Malachi 400 years before this. I want you to stop and think 400 years of history. 400 years ago. 1614. Our King James Bible was three years old. Just barely the first edition off the presses. Um, There was no pilgrims at Plymouth Rock yet. There was the beginning of the Jamestown colony and a Spanish colony down in St. Augustine was all there was on the East Coast. Nobody, nothing. Wilderness, Indians. That's where what this country was 400 years ago. Now it's one of the most crowded places on the face of the earth. A lot happens. And Andrew was there. He was one of those guys, generation after generation of people who read the Bible, who, except for the fact that he happened to live at that moment when Jesus was walking this earth, we'd never known anything about him. But to follow John the Baptist meant that he had to leave his home and his area and go to where John was preaching and listen to his message and evaluate that message based on his knowledge of the Scripture and turn his back on the synagogue and on the traditions of the Pharisees and follow John the Baptist. I'll tell you what, that takes an incredible amount of initiative. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? That's not something that happens by accident. Andrew was a thoughtful believer in Jesus Christ. He was not just there going through the motions like so many other people were. He was not striving uh, that we know of in all of the uh, uh, attempts and the works of the Pharisees. And if he was, he gave it up so that he could follow John the Baptist. But no sooner... Had he followed John the Baptist, his ministry was only about six months. And Jesus comes and is baptized. Andrew was there. He saw it. He he was an eyewitness of what went on. And the next day, Jesus is seen by John the Baptist. And John points him out and says, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew says, I said goodbye to the synagogue and the traditions of my people. And now I'm saying goodbye to you, Mr. John the Baptist, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but I like Andrew. I like his attitude. Uh, I like the fact that he was not tied to men. He was not tied to organizations. He was not tied to his family tradition. He was tied to the Word of God. You know, this was the argument that Jesus had with the Pharisees on several occasions as you go through the book of John. Uh, He said, listen, if you would only read what the Bible says, you would love me. 
If you love the God of the Old Testament, you would have to love me because I came from him. There is no contradiction in loving Jesus Christ and loving God the Father. People have often said, well, why do the Jews make such a big deal? Well, here's why. How many of you remember John chapter 11? The high priest Caiaphas said, if we let this man alone, he's going to take away, all men will believe on him, and we're going to lose our religion. And so they set out to destroy Jesus to protect their religion. You know what they were admitting, whether they knew it or not? That what they did to worship God did not include the God of the Bible. Isn't that scary? Andrew got past that. This next point, I... Hope you don't mind going over this again, but I I love this point. He goes and he finds Peter. Now, from what we understand in the Scriptures, when did they go fishing? At night. When were they with Jesus? All about the tenth hour. That's about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. You know what Peter was doing at four or five o'clock in the afternoon if he worked all night? Getting up. You know what happens if you don't work in a subsistence economy? You see, Peter didn't grow food. He was a fisherman. And so he would go out and he would catch the fish. He would bring them in the next morning and sell the fish. And then either he or Mrs. Peter, uh, he did have a mother-in-law, which meant that he would have to have a wife. I mean, mother-in-laws are wonderful things, but without a wife, they're just not very meaningful. Um, So Peter would either himself or give the money to his wife to purchase food so that their family could eat. It was shopping every day because... You only had the money earned to pay for the food that day. I'll tell you what, I'm glad that we don't do that. I mean, they make fun of me at BJ's. Because I'll go there about every two weeks and I'll have one of them big hand trucks. And I mean, piled up with boxes. And and, uh, one of the clerks said, How do you expect me to check your boxes? I said, I don't expect you to complain at all. I have your whole week's salary on this box. Be nice to me, right? And uh, the the simple thing is, we go out and we buy things and, and put them away and store things up. How would you like to, that day, have to go get the food for that day? You know, life would be different, wouldn't it? Now, what did Peter do? Andrew goes and gets Peter, and he said, we found the Messiah. Do you know how many Messiahs have been in Jewish history? How many hundreds of men have made that claim, or others have made that claim about him? And they're still not done. How many of you remember old Menachem Schneerson? uh, The Lubavitcher community there, the Hasidic Jews, when he died... Uh, he had those young men all gathered around his grave and, and, and uh, 
Someone said, now what are you going to do now that your Messiah is dead? And one of, the, one of those young men had the audacity to say, you wait till the third day. He was just as dead on the third day as he was on the first. Because he wasn't, isn't, can't be the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. But the Jewish history books are full of hundreds and hundreds of men down through the years, all claimed to be the Messiah. You know, they thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. They said to him, aren't you the Messiah? He says, no. Well, then you've got to be Elijah. No, I'm John. But he came in the spirit of Elijah, did he not? And he fulfilled the prophecy that Elijah would come before the Messiah. How much credibility would it take for you to miss a day's work to go check out a claim that had been made hundreds and hundreds of times, I found the Messiah? You know what we call that? We call that credibility. We call that integrity. You know, that's something that Andrew had. Could I challenge you, that's no longer a part of American society today. That's just not part of what you mean. In fact, uh, the thing that people want to do today is you've got to be able to be uh, a good a deceiver. And you've got to get away with it. And those are the people that are quote-unquote rewarded. Uh, I got just part of a report this morning. Uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was that Osgood file that's on WCBS. And uh, they did a, a study on this. I believe it was University of Toronto. Do you know that it takes more work and effort to lie than it does to tell the truth? Well, why do you think God said, Thou shalt not bear false witness? Amen. Uh, do you know that in your body, when you receive, they did all these tests on people, when you receive a reward because you told a lie, because you cheated to get it, your body does not respond in the same way as when you get something through integrity. It's different parts of the brain that light up and and there's different things that happen physiologically inside your body that aren't good when you get ahead by doing something dishonest. Isn't it interesting how science always agrees with the Bible? Peter, I mean, Andrew had enough credibility to get Peter to lose a day's work to go meet Jesus. I'll tell you something. I like Andrew. I like his character. But then, as he goes and first finds his brother Peter and brings him to Jesus, how many of you know what happened next? Peter gets all kinds of special attention. Jesus looks at him and says, Your name's Peter, but I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is going to be Cephas. A stone. Did he give Andrew a new name? He just told Andrew, come and see. 
I'll show you where I live. You can, if you want to follow me, go ahead. And he gives Peter all this special attention. And never once do we hear Andrew getting discouraged. I'll tell you what. He is an illustration for us. He, he's put here so we can look at his life. These things didn't happen by accident. They happened on purpose. You know, every once in a while somebody will say, Oh, well, you, you sure lucked out in life. Oh, no. You start obeying God when you're young. And it's not luck. It's His blessings. That's why we encourage the young people. Hey, it seems like the whole world is against you. It's okay. You just keep doing right. How many adults will tell me? It's worth doing it right the first time so you don't have to pay for the mistakes later. How many adults would say amen with me? I mean... It doesn't pay. There are no shortcuts in life. Andrew was not going to take them. He studied it out. He became a disciple of John. As soon as John said, this is the Messiah, Andrew takes off and he says, I'm following you. Jesus says, okay, follow me. He said, but first I got to go get Peter. And Jesus makes a big deal about Peter. Didn't make a big deal about Andrew. How many times did Jesus address Peter? I mean, Peter was the leader as far as we know. I mean, he was so much a leader uh, among the disciples that the Catholic people said, you know, he, he inherited Jesus' position and became the first pope. And, of course, we know that's not true. But uh, Peter was a great leader. Never once. Now, James and John, the two brothers, the sons of thunder... They were there when their mother said, can one sit on your right and the other sit on your left? And I have, the Bible says there was indignation among the other apostles at James and John. I think they were sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. that sounds like a good idea. And uh, Andrew never had any such ideas that we have recorded in Scripture. And let's just walk on through the book here. Most of us know the story of Andrew. Nothing new tonight. If it were new, it's not Bible. But I, I just want us to, to look at this life and be encouraged. And we, we come to chapter 6 in verse 5. Uh, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know how he's almost always addressed that way? Very rarely do you find Andrew all by himself as if people would know who he was. It was always Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. We need to make sure you know which Andrew we talk about. Even though there was only one disciple named Andrew, they still always put that title on there to identify him. And uh, he says, 
saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, I want us to stop here. Now, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And so he goes to Philip, and he says to Philip, we're going to feed everybody. And Philip apparently had a little bit of business sense. He pulls out his pocket calculator or slide rule, whatever the equivalent was in those days. And, and he comes up with a calculation of 200 penny worth. Now, if you stop and think about this, a penny was a day's wages. That's what they earned in the, uh, in the vineyard. You're talking uh, in modern day Understanding, you work at 20 days a month, roughly five days a week, 10 months' salary, take out for special holidays and all of that. It, it, that's pretty close to a year's salary. And check around some of the caterers here. Things haven't changed much. If you had to feed 7,000 people, do you think you could do it for 50,000 bucks? Well, I could do it on a year's salary, but it'd have to be Donald Trump's, right? It certainly wouldn't be mine. And Philip is figuring this out, and he said, even if I had this kind of money, and you know we don't, Lord, uh, it would only get a snack for everybody. Nobody's asking Andrew to do anything. Nobody's talking to him. Nobody's saying, go find food, see what we can come up with. Andrew walks up as Jesus and Philip are discussing this and said, I got a boy here with a lunch. And I think every time I tell this story, I probably, I, I was just... Uh, probably only about 10 or 12 years old, and we had a preacher come to chapel at the school I was going to, and uh, he did some calculations on the five loaves and the two fish. He said, uh, in order to feed that many people, the loaves of bread would have had to have been fairly close to a quarter mile long each, and the, the fish would have been about a ton and a half, about 2,000 pounds, uh, 3,000 pounds for each fish. And his little quip was, I'd like to see the boy that could carry that kind of food for lunch. Uh, no, Jesus was going to do a miracle. There was absolutely no sense in bringing the lunch to Jesus. But let me ask you a question. How much sense did it make to leave quote-unquote, because Andrew didn't leave the Bible, but he left Jewish 4,000 years of Jewish history to follow John the Baptist. And then in John the Baptist's testimony, he left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. And he went and he used every bit of personal persuasiveness that was in his being to convince his brother Peter to come and follow this same Jesus. And he still has enough sense 
say, Lord, this isn't going to do a thing. But here it is. You know, that's why I like Andrew. He wasn't trying to figure things out. He just took what was available and he brought it to Jesus anyway. You know what? That is such an incredible rule of life. It doesn't make sense. Take it to Jesus anyway. Amen? Just bring what you have. It's Jesus that does the miracles. I don't think Andrew was one of those strategic thinkers. I don't think he was going... Now, you know, he made water out of wine in Cana Galilee. Maybe he'll do something with these fish and bread. I don't think that was Andrew's thought process at all. I think Andrew's thought process is simply what the Scripture said... Hey, Philip was in a jam. I mean, his calculator's running out of figures on how to get enough money just to buy enough. And, of course, everybody knew they didn't have that much money. And he says, well, we got a lunch. We actually have this. Uh, Here it is, Jesus. Jesus is not interested in what we don't have. He's interested in what is available. You know, sometimes we try to give Jesus fantastic things. And that wouldn't be bad if you had them. Don't spend your life hoping for some incredible thing. I remember my pastor, Brother Thompson, several times I heard him, you know, I'm just praying that one time in my life, God would give me a million dollars to put into missions. And then a couple of years later, I met him and we just started talking. He says, you know something? I sat down and the Lord just showed me. He never gave me a million dollars at one time. But our church, has, Cleveland Baptist Church, has put tens of millions of dollars into missions over the 30-some years that he was the pastor there. He said, maybe God did answer my prayer. I said, I'm sure he did. Amen. I mean, you stop and think how God does things. We would like to do something incredible. I'll I'll tell you, I, I would like to be like Andrew. Just that quiet, unsung hero. And I believe we could use that term in referring to Andrew. Because he did what was right when no one else had a clue. And you know what it always referred to? Just kept going to Jesus. Let's go up a couple more chapters. Chapter 12. We'll come down to verse 20. This was right after Jesus had ridden through the eastern gate. Of Jerusalem, he was sitting on the steps of the temple. The crowds were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. Guess what? Certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again... Andrew and Philip 
tell Jesus. Do you see how that works? I mean, Philip was of Bethsaida, which was basically a Gentile town. Uh, it has a Jewish name, but the, it was, from what we understand, a, a much more uh, uh, progressive type population, had a lot more dealing with the Romans and, and, and the Gentile world. And so they picked on Philip. And Philip goes and says, Andrew, what in the world are we going to do? We got these, and just, it, it says Greek here, but the word Greek in, in your New Testament really refers to anyone who was not ethnically Jewish. Uh, almost all the Romans would be considered Greek, except for the soldiers, uh, because it was Greek culture that really controlled the the Roman world. And uh, so they come up and Philip uh, tell Philip, and Philip goes and he talks to Andrew. And I love the way it's worded in your Bible. You see, they talk to Philip, Philip talks to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go talk to Jesus. You know what? Andrew was just consistent about this thing. He had, he had made a life habit. He was going to go to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. He brought the boy to Jesus. Uh, we do not know whether Jesus even gave an actual audience to these uh, uh, Gentile believers in the Old Testament. But I will tell you this. If their heart was believing in the God of the Old Testament... Guess what they did after the resurrection? They believed in the Jesus of the New Testament. That's why the churches grew the way they did. And we get up here, and this is the last week, and we go through uh, the book of Acts, and, and I did not check real super thoroughly there, but I think Andrew may be mentioned once or so in the book of Acts. He's not mentioned very much, I'll tell you this. Once uh, the Apostle Paul shows up, we don't hear from Andrew ever again. But uh, do you think we would be mistaken in saying Andrew was still taking people to Jesus until Jesus took him home? I mean, he had a whole lifetime of ministry. That three years he spent with Christ, that's what he did. And even though the Bible doesn't give us a personal history as it does with Peter, as it does with uh, the Apostle Paul, as it does with many of the other people in the book of Acts, we don't hear much about Andrew. But I'll tell you what, he gives us some good life rules. He wasn't attached to traditions, to organizations, he was attached to Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can't be attached to Jesus Christ and not be attached to his church. Amen? But here's what happens. You know, churches change over the years. There are churches that one time were great churches and now you couldn't find the gospel there with a pack of bloodhounds and a battalion of Marines. It's just not there. It's gone. What is your job? 
I'm going to stay faithful to my church and keep it right. No. You know what, Jesus, that happens to churches that neglect the Bible? He puts out the candle. And he leaves. You know what Bible-believing Christians have historically done? Just what Andrew did. They turned their back and they followed Jesus. Andrew was always doing something. But the one thing that was incredible, unlike Peter, Peter was always doing something too. I mean, it ran in the family. Uh, But Peter got noticed. Usually about the time the Lord said in the original languages, take your foot out of your mouth, Peter. Please stop that. Uh, He said, get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. I mean, Jesus rebuked Peter in incredible ways. But Andrew was bringing the boy with the lunch. Philip was there. Lord, how in the world do you expect me to feed all these people? And Peter went out and found the boy. He said, we got a lunch. Now, Lord, uh, it's not going to do much. But... The inference is, you can. And he gave him the lunch. He didn't know what to do when the traditions and the prejudice of the Jewish people were being questioned here. He just went to Jesus. And I can promise you one thing. Our scripture is very clear on this. If you want the truth, God will give it to you. God will give it to you. You see, you don't need a position. You need to be there. You don't need to figure things out. You just need to take it to Jesus. Andrew's an incredible man in the Bible. And it wouldn't hurt for us to ask the Lord to give us a little bit of the spirit of Andrew in our daily walk. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for the life of this one called Andrew, recorded in the Scripture. We thank you for his character and his credibility and personal integrity. And Lord, his desire to just serve you and not to have anything of a position or the applause of men. Lord, we ask that you would help us to think and meditate on these things. And Lord, tonight I would be the first to say, I I need more of the Spirit of Andrew in my life. And I would ask that you would touch the hearts of each one here tonight. That we would desire that simple, quiet obedience to you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish... We just keep our heads bowed, piano to play.